All right, praise the Lord. Y'all can uh, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 24 as you're doing that. I want to say thank you again for being here. If you are a guest, we are thankful that you're here today. And I want to be a blessing to you while you're here. So please uh, stop by the Welcome Center and uh, ask any questions you'd like. And I'm sure they will have all the answers for you uh, possible. So uh, we have been going through this study and uh, I've, I've loved it. Uh, years and years ago, we uh, preached through Paul's conversion. So we stopped in Acts chapter 9, but uh, now we're going all the way through this, just kind of seeing uh, the journey in the first church. And our two points last week were drawn from Paul's circumstances uh, yet again. And not only his circumstances, but his actions, his decisions in the midst of those circumstances. You know, he was before the governor who had authority to basically put him away forever or even take his life. Uh, the governor's name was Felix. And uh, the religious Jews, the Sanhedrin council, all of them had tried to kill Paul. And yet in God's providence, he allowed Paul to be a prisoner. And in being a prisoner, was able to give defense of his life. And in defense of his life, gave the gospel uh, to people he may not otherwise have been able to give the gospel to. Uh, again, he gave it to the Jews once more. Uh, while he was in, in custody there. But we saw two points, and they were this. The first point was this. The contrast in our lives should be obvious to the lost world to the point of tension. And so if we're a child of God, there's no question we should be living our life different in such a way that the contrast creates a tension. Not because we're trying to be uh, provocative in our life. We're not trying to cause problems with the lost. We're not trying to uh, make uh, tension where there's no reason to have tension. But us just simply living our lives following Jesus Christ will present tension with the lost world. Again, we talked about it happens in families. If you have any family members that are lost, there's probably a strain in your relationship at some point in some area. If there's not, you really need to make sure that your testimony among your family is where it should be because it causes a strain with those who are lost. It's the same way with people you work with, uh, your neighbors, friends, all that causes uh, attention because of the, the contrast in our lives. Again, it's not because we think we're better than anybody else. It's not because we are holier than thou. It's not because we are being self-righteous. It's because we're pursuing Christ. And as we're pursuing Christ, that causes the obvious contrast in our life. The second point was this, the conviction in the gospel message is still and will always be the vital decision point for all. Again, the there was tension with the religious crowd. They, they didn't want Paul around. Uh, there was tension also with the pagan crowd. Both, both groups are lost, obvious. And again, it's what still happens today if you're truly following Christ and if you're sharing Christ with others. I found that that is one of the issues, right? Because we can go to work and we can have neighbors and we can have friends, we can have family members, and we can just sit there and eat and, and, and talk about the weather and talk about the news and talk about various things. But the moment that you bring Christ in the conversation, the moment that you bring the gospel in the conversation, things change. You can sit there with a person at a stranger and you can say, hey, what do you think about this crazy heat wave we're having? And, oh, yeah, it's wonderful. Hey, do you have a church? No. And you start sharing the gospel with them and things will change. Sometimes they'll be receptive. But, again, the religious crowd who thought that their way was right already through their works of faith or through their own, their own works and not through faith, uh, and the pagan crowd, specifically talking about Felix, they all face the same conviction that anybody still faces still today. 
Everybody who faces the gospel, everybody who hears the gospel will face conviction of some sort, I believe. Both these groups here have rejected, which is heart, heartbreaking. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I've shared the gospel with people before, and you know this is true if you have as well. And had them clearly reject it. I don't want anything to do with that. No, I'm not interested right now. I'm okay going to hell. So, I mean, there, there have been all kinds of responses in the rejection, which, by the way, happens most of the time. So if you're afraid, man, I'm, I'm afraid to share the gospel with this person because I'm afraid that they'll reject me or I'm afraid that they won't like it or I'm afraid that they won't want to have anything. Guess what? That is just about what happens most of the time. If you've done that before, then you know the heartbreak that accompanies that. I've shared testimonies before. I've, I've talked to people before and said, you know, um, you know if, if you stand before God based on your own admission, do you feel like that you would be innocent or guilty before God if he judges you by his righteous standard, which he will? And I've had people say, I think I'd be guilty. And then I say, well, if you were guilty before a holy God on judgment day, do you think that he then would allow you to go into heaven or do you think that he would sentence you to hell? And I've had them say, well, he would probably sentence me to hell because I'm guilty. And I would say, well, does that concern you? I've had people say these words. No, not really. And that's heartbreaking. I've had people even go further than that. I, I, I think it's going to be a party in hell. I'm going to, me and my friends are going to party there. I'm like, you're crazy. That's nowhere in Scripture. But they're at that decision point where each person must make, will I surrender my life to Jesus Christ? Will I follow Him, accept Him as my Lord and Savior, or will I reject Him and continue to serve myself and continue to serve sin? We know what the Bible says. One means eternal life, and the other, of course, means eternal destruction and torment. And so we pick up our study at the end of chapter 24, where Paul is already given his defense before Felix. Felix is not really happy with what he has to, a decision he has to make. So he just basically puts him in prison and keeps him there for about two years, the Bible says in verse 27. And after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul imprisoned. Wow. I don't know if you're getting what, what just happened, but we, we kind of read that in Scripture, kind of like we read a book, right? We, we, can, we can read this story and we say, oh, wow, two years passed. But I, I want you to put yourself in that situation. You've not done anything legally wrong. You've not, even, you've not even done anything sinfully wrong to put yourself in this position to be in prison because you've been following Christ and sharing the gospel with people that you come in contact with. And there's no reason why you would stay imprisoned. There's no, uh, there's, there's no accusation. There's no charge against you that would keep you in prison. It's just that the governor didn't really want to mess with it. And he didn't want to enrage anybody. And so he just leaves you in prison just because. This is where Paul is. The truth is acquittal was the only action that was available to Felix because there was no guilt, there was no conviction, there was nothing that would keep Paul in prison. But that would have upset the Jews if he would just let Paul go. Something he had done all too frequently in his time as a governor of the, of the province, which is interesting and, and important. Because from Luke's account, it would appear that Rome merely transfers Felix to another command. But history gives us a lot of different accounts, and one of those accounts comes from the Jewish historian Josephus. 
Josephus is summarized by another guy. And his, this is the summary of what Josephus' account was when Paul was held in prison, and the reason why. He said this, Felix's downfall came through an outbreak of hostilities between the Jews and the Greeks at Caesarea. With both claiming dominant civil rights in the city, the Jews, because of their greater numbers and wealth, and because Herod the Great, a Jew, had rebuilt the city, the Greeks thought that they had dominance because they had the support of the military and because they claimed the city was always meant to be a Gentile city. Using the Syrian troops under his command, Felix's intervention took the form of military retaliation upon the Jews. Many people were killed. Many Jews were killed. Many were taken prisoner or even plundered of their wealth. And a delegation of Jews went to Rome to complain. Felix was recalled to Rome and would have suffered severe punishment had not his brother, Pallas, interceded for him before Nero. Felix was replaced by Festus in A.D. 60. Paul spent another two years in prison because of the whim and the political agenda of a Roman governor. Many scholars believe Luke was with Paul all this time and took opportunity to gather information for his writings, perhaps both the writings of the Gospel of Luke and what we're studying right now, the book of Acts. Some might say, well, God isn't good because he, he could have made Paul free. You know, God, if God was a good God, and we sing this song, Good, Good Father, God, God's not, he can't completely be that because he, he left Paul in prison and he could have released Paul. Or, or God is maybe punishing Paul for persecuting the church and something that we've talked about before. Maybe somebody would criticize God's goodness or God's justice and saying that God really doesn't care about what goes on in our lives. I mean, look at Paul. Paul's just sitting in prison for two years for doing what? Right, and you, and you can get in that place. You, you, can, you can find yourself there at times. I'm not necessarily saying all the way there, but let yourself go through a severe trial, right? And, and see if the temptations don't show up in your mind or your heart at times. Maybe the temptation to think, why, why me? Why us? Why this? Why now? I mean, you may not necessarily be questioning God's goodness and justice the way that some people do, but maybe you're questioning God's justice and his sovereignty over your situation. We can, we can go even further and say over your suffering. Right? Some people are going through something right now. Many people in our church have gone through lots of different trials and even different levels of suffering. And there is that temptation in, that, in the midst of that to say, God, why? And I would say that all of those criticisms that I just stated, God isn't good because it, he could have made Paul free, or uh, God is punishing Paul for, for, for persecuting the church, or God really doesn't care all that much because Paul's just sitting in prison for two years. Why couldn't he just let him sit in prison for six months? I mean, I don't know about you. I, I, I praise God I've never been in prison. Maybe one day we will be for our faith. But I, I can't imagine sitting there for even a month Knowing in your heart and your mind you haven't done anything worthy of, of being locked up. Sitting there for a month. And then another month goes by. And then three months go by. There's the first quarter of, 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 the, of the sentence. And, and then another month, five months, and six months. What, God, why am I here? Why am I going through this? 
Why are you allowing this to happen in my life? I'm simply just trying to serve you. I'm trying to just give my life. I've surrendered all to you, Lord. Why, are you, why am I just locked up in this suffering? Point number one, our only point this morning, because we've got a lot of Scripture that I think are very important for us to talk about this morning, is this, the prolonging of our suffering is always for a divine purpose. And I would put a little parenthesis around that as the children of God. You know, some people are dealing with different diseases or sicknesses, different hurts, different struggles. And sometimes you can't necessarily point your finger on a very specific thing that you've done or not done to say, this is why I'm going through this. Sometimes we can. Sometimes the, the, the suffering that we encounter on this earth is, is a consequence of sin, right? We make choices, and then the consequences of that sin comes along, and we have to deal with those consequences because that's just the way it is in this fallen world. But there's sometimes we go through suffering, and we can't always put our finger on why we're going through it. We can't even see in the midst of the suffering, even when it's prolonged, what is God doing in the middle of this? I don't even understand it. I mean, I don't even see, I don't really remember encountering anybody new. I don't remember, you know, this, this divine moment where I realized that, that God brought somebody in my life and I shared the gospel with them. Why, why am I going through this right now? And why is it taking so long to go through it? Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, a familiar scripture, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them, not one sparrow will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very, no, very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. I think it's so vital for us to remember that we only know and we only see with temporal perspectives. That, that's just the reality of our, our, our life. And, and, and that's why I think the, the charges and the, the commands are found in Scripture, specifically one of them in Colossians chapter 3, which composes our, our theme for this year, Raised with Christ. It says this, if, you, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above. It's the charge. It's the command. Why would, why would God inspire Paul to tell these Colossians, which still applies in our life today, to, to, to seek things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And why would he continue on to say, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. He said, because you're alive, you've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. I put this in your note, notes as well. The truth, the principles, the promises that are found in the word of God must be the bedrock of every circumstance of our life, especially the trials. And that's why so, so often it, it, it can be discouraging when you talk to somebody, they're going through something, and you give them a scripture, and you say, hey, you know, God's word says this, and it's like it's not enough. Like, give me something tangible. Give me something applicable. Give me something that I actually can do right now that will change my current circumstance, that will cur that change the suffering that I'm in right now. Give me something that will change that, the suffering I'm going through. But I think a lot changes when our perspective is right. God's given us his truth. He's given us so many principles. He's given us so many promises in his word. And that must be the bedrock of every circumstance in our life. So no matter what we face, no matter what we go through, no matter if our suffering seems meaningless for two years, then we come to the same conclusion. 
there is a divine purpose in this suffering. I may not see it. I may not know it. But I know what God has promised. Paul knew what, what God had promised. One of the things I think that Paul knew that God had promised is something that still applies today from the nation of Israel even to the people of God, the church today. Psalm chapter 37 verse 25, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid or tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. You can imagine the Apostle Paul in prison, remembering these promises that God gave to his people. God is the one that's with you. He will not fail you. He will not forsake you. God, I don't understand. I don't see. I mean, I haven't seen my family. I, again, I've got some friends. I've got Luke here. I've got some people that are coming, but people have left, and, and I, feel, I, I feel like, you know, oh, okay, you know what? I remember. You'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. You'll never fail. You're always with me. Hebrews chapter 13, probably the Apostle Paul writing this. Chapter 13, verse 5, make sure that your character is free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. The last charge that Jesus gave to his followers, very familiar, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And here's the promise. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Apostle Paul, no question, was sitting there suffering what we would call, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not trying to minimize anybody's trials. I'm not trying to minimize anybody's circumstances that you're going through right now because they're absolutely real. They're absolutely what you're dealing with. But I, I don't know of anybody, I don't know anybody personally, I've ever known, that has been imprisoned for their faith, just left in there for two years. Seemingly for no reason at all. Just because there was a political agenda going on, and that's all that was being accomplished. If somebody looks on the outside, well, this is just a politi political theater, right? They saw this Christian, they threw him in prison, and now they just left him there. What, for what, politics? I want you to look at Mark chapter 13, verse 1. And as he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Right, this is Jesus with the disciples walking out and they looking at the temple, looking at the buildings all around there, and they were beautiful, they were ornate. They, I mean, they were stunning in their day. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning, uh, questioning him privately. They believed that Jesus was telling the truth, but they said to him, when will these things be? When is this going to happen? And what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? We want to know what the end's going to look like. We, we want to know that way we're prepared. And Jesus began to say to them, see to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and, and will mislead many. When you hear of wars and rumors of war, do not be frightened. Those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. 
These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you to the courts. This is Jesus talking. Paul hadn't yet become an apostle. Paul had not yet been in prison yet. He's telling his followers, he's telling them that they will deliver you to the courts and you will be flogged. What happened to Paul? He was flogged. In the synagogues. Yep. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. The gospel must first be preached to all the nations. When they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father, his child, children will rise up against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end He'll be saved. It's a test of true faith. The Apostle Paul knew, sitting in that prison, he had already had the opportunity before Felix. He, 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 was, he was primed as what exactly what Jesus said he would, he would be doing. Now, I, I, want, I want you to imagine if it were Daniel trusting him in the jaws of hungry lions in a den with them. Or if it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who trusted him to and in a fiery furnace that consumed human human flesh even when it got close, then how could Paul, how could we not when we are tested in suffering, when our our health fails it, when when the health is is gone, when you're struggling to find answers, is is it going to get any better? Am I going to get any better? When the Lord takes that loved one home, Why them? Why now? When we don't get the desired result of all the effort and sacrifice that we've made, when our finances get tight and we can't afford to seemingly live, when the world we live in turns on top of its head and becomes a weird place to live in, we need to remember that we serve a higher purpose on this earth than simply for our temporal pleasure and temporal comfort. We must trust him even when the trial is long or when it's severe. And as I said, I know some people may be going through that right now, but maybe this is something God has given to us for what's ahead. I don't know. I do know that we go from trial to trial and God takes us from, from valley to mountaintop to valley, sometimes seemingly from valley to valley. But we serve a higher purpose. First Peter chapter 4, therefore, Since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles. You've already had that opportunity, having pursued the course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all of this, They are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation. And they malign you. They hate you because of that. Remember we talked about the tension? But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead. That though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. The end of all things is near. 
Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, it is to, it is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things, whether speaking or serving, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, or the fiery trial among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you different from anybody else. He says, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Man, especially if you're suffering as a Christian, you're simply trying to follow Christ and you run into this cancer and you, you're trying to serve Christ and you run into this loss of life. You, you, you're serving Christ, you're living your Lord and you, you run into the loss of a job. You run into financial strain. You're serving the Lord. What does he say? Don't think it's strange that it's happening to you. But to a certain degree that you're sharing the sufferings of Christ and keep on rejoicing. So that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time, judgment, for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins first with, uh, with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is difficult with that the righteous is, I'm sorry, and if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore those, who, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Again, we, we may not always have the answers, but we have to know that our prolonged suffering is always, always has a divine purpose. Second Peter chapter 3, knowing this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust and saying, where's the promise of his coming? Where's Jesus? I thought he was coming back. I thought when it was going to get like Sodom and Gomorrah, Jesus was coming back. We prayed even this morning, come back quickly, Lord. Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of the water and by water, through which the world at the time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that the day that, the, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. And the Lord is not slow concerning his promise. Some, some people count it as slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. 
Jesus told his disciples, look, you're going to be delivered up to the courts and before governors and kings for a testimony to me. There was Paul in the prison for two years, not knowing why necessarily, other than what Jesus has said. Hey, you're going to be a testimony to me before governors and before kings. Other people are going to hear. You can imagine at that point in time, maybe the apostle Paul thought, this is it. Jesus is coming. He said, this is what's going to happen before the end happens. And here we are 2,000 years later. Can it get any worse? I don't know about you. As I said in the beginning, I have no idea what it's like to sit in a prison cell, especially for my faith and especially for two years. I think it can get a lot worse for us. But all these things happen for a reason. And I believe that this message is for a reason. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the seas, talking about the children of Israel in the Exodus. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. We know it was a manna in the, in the wilderness. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from the spiritual rock which followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. With most of the children of Israel who he, he delivered out of bondage, he was not well pleased for they were laid low in the wilderness. They were, they were killed. Now these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Again, I, I don't know if you and I will ever experience severe persecution as Christians in this country. But I don't want it to be like an overwhelming wave that comes upon Trinity Baptist Temple and so many people are crushed under the persecution. I think it's so important for us to remember that sometimes the, the, the trials that God leads us to and through are preparing us for even stronger and greater trials. Said, no, let us not act immoral as some of them, immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he doesn't fall. But I say a while ago, I don't know if we're going to face persecution, but I don't want it to come to our nation, to this land, to this area, and it to overwhelm the church, Trinity Baptist Temple. No temptation has taken you, but such is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but here's the promise. But with, with the temptation, with the trial, will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. I've read it many times in the study. We'll be reminded yet again in close. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For, the, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We have to remember what we've learned recently. Sometimes God uses suffering, he allows it to advance his kingdom. Men and, and women of faith 
through the ages, through great suffering, have stood to see God do amazing things, even in and through their suffering. Hebrews chapter 11, what shall I say more? For the time will fail me if I tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and of David, Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were, they were cut in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Did you hear that? They all had confidence in God regardless of whether they saw the end of the promise. They never saw Jesus the Messiah come in flesh. But they still went through this by faith. Because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us they would not be made perfect. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes. There it is again, same as in Colossians chapter 3. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you'll not grow weary and lose heart. I want to challenge you this morning. So many people stopped coming to church whenever they got something better to do. So many people stopped serving the Lord whenever somebody hurts their feelings. So many people disengage from relationships whenever things go a little sour. Listen, our world may get a lot worse. It may get very, very difficult to live as Christians in this land. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I do know this. There's a lot of stirring right now that's been stirring for years that have tried to label people like us as terrorists. And it's still a real alive thing. And if you and I don't get serious about setting our eyes on things above and living for the kingdom of God and stop trying to live for the kingdom of this world in our own kingdom and start realizing, man, we, we have to consider him who endured such hostility of sinners against himself so that we don't grow weary and lose heart. Again, the religious Jews, the Sanhedrin council, had tried to kill Paul. God's providence had led Paul to being a prisoner. And in this suffering was able to give a defense of his life, the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Jews and to this Roman governor. So let's remember, man, we're only here for a little while. And maybe God has you in the midst of this suffering to prepare you for greater suffering. Or maybe he has you in this suffering right now so that you will be a witness and a testimony to bring honor and glory to him. But time is passing so fast. 
When I talk to most people, it seems like time is actually speeding up if it's possible. Let's not miss this. I believe God is preparing us. Let's make sure that our lives are calibrated to His will. Let's make sure that we're pursuing His plan. And again, if you're suffering now, we suffer later. It's for a purpose that we can prayerfully understand one day soon. I believe that day's coming soon. And we're face to face with the lover of our soul. And if you don't have that assurance, whether you're watching online or whether you're here in person, that you're going to spend eternity with him to possibly see the culmination of all the suffering in life. And I beg you not to leave this place without understanding how and surrendering your life to Christ. See, Matthew chapter 10, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I came to set a man against his father, daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. He who has lost his life for my sake will find it. The apostle Paul had already lost his life. He was sitting in that prison and simply was being a vessel of the Lord Most High. And I want to challenge you and encourage you this morning. Let's live our lives, let's run our race in the same way. That no matter what struggle, no matter what suffering, no matter what trial, no matter what prison or disease, no matter what heartache or hurt, no matter what we go through in this life, we are faithful to the one who is worthy. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for all that you do. Again, we thank you for the examples that you've given us in Scripture. Though we see the Apostle Paul, we saw one verse in our text and so many other verses surrounding it, but one verse that has so much in it. Suffering for two years in a prison. And yes, he could have friends, but he was still a prisoner. He couldn't travel like he knew he was called to travel and some people might say that was a waste of time. Some people might say, well, he could have traveled to so many other cities and reached so many other people. But Lord, we know that our suffering has a divine purpose. It did for Paul, it still does for us. And I pray that we would be just as he was, simply faithful in the suffering, faithful through the trial, faithful through the heartache, the loss, the struggle, the difficulty, faithful through the questions, that we'd be faithful to be your servants and vessels of honor for your glory. I ask you to just move now. Help us respond in the right way. Maybe there's somebody here that is suffering. They, they're suffering heartache. They're suffering hurt. They're, they're suffering with, with whatever. God, I pray that they would take this time to turn it over to you, to commit to being faithful in the midst of the suffering. Lord, if there's somebody here that's lost, I do pray you'd move on their heart. And they would realize that they need you to save them. Today is the day of salvation. We'll praise you for this, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as he sings, I want to invite you to come to this altar.